Ladies and gentlemen, presented by the WZWA Network, it's the Insider's Edge Podcast with your host, California. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Insider's Edge Podcast here on the WZWA Network. I'm your host with the most on the West Coast. California in Fury. It's a joy to be with you all once again. I know I say that every single time, but it is a joy. You know why? Because I've been a hot mess lately and I keep on missing out on interviews and all that stuff. And we're only putting one out every two or three weeks. I'm sorry. I'm trying really hard, but it's difficult when your life is, is consumed with 12 hour shifts several times a week. So I'm doing my best, everyone. I promise we will get back to weekly interviews. But anyway, enough of me whinging and complaining. It's time to be happy and have a fun time here with my next guest here. But I'm going to say this right here, right now, before I introduce her. As we know, on the Insider's Edge podcast, we have had interviews with wrestlers, managers, promoters, ring announcers, producers, authors of books, journalists, the whole kit and caboodle, really. And that was always the goal, to bring the light to the unsung heroes of the industry, because no matter what, who, when, how, and why, these people are just as important and as interesting as one another, which uh, brings me to my guest. She's been in the business for 25 plus years, and I can't wait to find out about her story. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the one, this is the only, this is Shannon Hunter. How are you, Shannon? Hi, I'm great. How are you? I am wonderful, and it's great to have the chance to talk to you. We've had some interactions on Twitter, I think, since TOD19, uh, when my mm-hmm. channel did a we did a review show of, of that amazing event. And since then, I followed you, and I can clearly see your passion. And the passion, it, I feel it all the way from the most isolated city in the world here, Perth, Western Australia. I feel it. And that's why I wanted to talk to you here today. Shannon, the first question, as per usual on every show, how did you become a fan of professional wrestling? So I feel like I was like maybe five uh, or six. And so my brother uh, was a wrestling fan and he's also a he was also a triple black belt in martial arts. And um, so wrestling was always sort of in the background of my life. I'm 46 now. So, um, you know, when you, when you're a little kid, you know, you're, it's a very typical story, you know, you're, you're flipping around and one of two things either happens to you, you're flipping around on television and you see wrestling on TV, you stop for a second and either you stop and you watch it and you fall in love with it forever, or you keep going and it just doesn't, it doesn't affect your life. So I feel like, um, you know, I am the, the former, not the latter. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I think that for me, wrestling is embedded in the, the bedrock of who I am. Um, I found out much later in my life that my great aunt wrestled bears and carnies. Um, you know, so the wrestling is just, you know, part of sort of my family DNA in a lot of ways, you know, my, my brother was a wrestling fan and and obviously involved in martial arts. My nephew was involved in mixed martial arts. Um, you know, so I, I think that this this type of aspect of the the sport just sort of was in my DNA and I was always sort of destined to enjoy it. 
Very cool. You see, I became obsessed with professional wrestling in about 1998. And then I come to find out that uh, my grandmother's cousin was a guy by the name of Ray Crawley, who used to wrestle in England in the world of sport days. So I like to say that it's in my blood too, even though that's a real far stretch uh, being my <laughs> nan's cousin. But uh, anyway, uh, back to you. Uh, okay, so you said five years old. This has been, you know, with you the whole time. Okay, the years wear on. You're still a fan. You're still a fan. How did you first become involved? in pro wrestling and what kind of work had you been known to do at that time? So when I, I, I'm originally from Buffalo, New York, and I moved to New York city in 1999 to get my master's degree at Columbia university. And I was way younger than the people that I was in school with. A lot of them were in their thirties and forties and they had worked at the Pentagon and all this kind of weird stuff. And I just, and I had gone straight from high school to college and from college to grad school. And I just wasn't connecting emotionally with a lot of people. And I needed, um, you know, I needed to create that circle around me of friendships. So I said, you know, let me see if there's any sort of, you know, wrestling schools or anything like that. You know, maybe I can you know, take pictures or, or something like that. So, you know, at the time, you know, the internet was like, a you know, just a thing in, in the late nineties. So I went, you know, on the internet and I was looking for local wrestling schools and I found Jersey all pro in Bayonne, New Jersey. And I hit up fat Frank who owned the company and, you know, he called me and he said, and I said, you know, what do you need? And he said, well, what can you do? And I said, well, what do you need? And he said, well, what can you do? And I said, well, <laughs> I can take pictures. He said, well, why don't you come down? Um, and what was funny about that is in order to get to New York, I had pawned my camera. So I had to really quick, the day of the, the first show I went to go and, and buy like a little camera. <laughs> and <clears throat> excuse me, and I explained that away, basically saying that, you know, oh, this was my test camera, and I was just, um, you know, making sure that it was something that I wanted to do. So I went, and I had a good time, and he said, you know, oh, we would really, you know, like for you to come back. So then I had to go out and actually rebuy an actual camera at that point you know in the 90s it was still the film cameras so I worked at Jersey All Pro for like a couple of years um and uh and then when I was working at Jersey All Pro I was introduced to people from the doghouse like Homicide and Low Life Louie and um Frankie Stars and they said well why don't you come down um to the doghouse since you're living in New York. Uh, I have always lived in Manhattan, but the doghouse was um, in Brooklyn. And so they said, well, why don't you, why don't you come down to the doghouse? And so then I would go to the doghouse every weekend and spend, you know, my Saturdays at the doghouse when I wasn't at Jersey All Pro or at Jersey Championship Wrestling, which was owned at, the, at that time by Ricky O. So that was sort of like, the beginning, I would do this loop where I would do 
JP, JCW in the doghouse. And that was sort of where I was at the beginning of my career at the, in the nineties and the late nineties, early two thousands. Right. So uh, was that primarily doing photography? That was primarily doing photography at the very beginning of my career. I was, that was how I got my foot in the door. Very similar to like a Jim Cornette or a, um, or a Polly, I was doing photography. And at that point, you know, I didn't know what else I wanted to do, but I know, I knew that that was not going to be the thing that I was going to do forever. Um, you know, some people know that that's their path. Some people are real artists and they know that that's their path and that's what they want to be doing in wrestling. For me, I knew that that was not going to be the thing. I knew that that was a stepping stone to do other things. Um, so, so I knew that I needed to figure out what that was and how to get there as soon as I could. Um, because at the time, too, photography was very expensive because, you know, you had your equipment and you had your you had to develop the film and all of that. And, and it was, you know, not easy. Um, so it, for me, it was trying to figure out in that period of like five or six years or so um, how to pay those dues and figure out um what the the thing was that I wanted to do. Um, and that ended up being running shows um, and running the locker room. And how that ended up coming about is that um, Jason Knight of ECW grabbed me up and said, um, I'm starting a company in Connecticut. Um, he's like, why don't you come with me and help me out? And so Jason taught me how to run a show um, and how to run a locker room. And he one of the one of the benefits of working for somebody like Jason is that he really valued women and women's voices and women in wrestling way before any of this women's revolution shit started. So, you know, this was in the early 2000s. So Jason taught me that, you know, I was capable of telling men what to do. You know what I'm saying? And that my voice mattered and that people had to listen to me. And um, so, and I was a young girl, I was like 23. So, you know, I think there's, there was so much value in that because, you know, when you're a young girl and you are figuring out who you are and what you want to do. And this, this man who was successful is telling you, no, these people have to listen to you. Go yell at them. Um, I think you really, you really figure your shit out really quick. And he was also the type of person who would not tell you the answer to a problem because you would be like, what am, what do I do? And he would be like, well, what do you think? And it used to, and so Jason trained myself. He trained Mercedes Martinez and he trained um, Velvet Sky all at the same time. We were all in the same quote unquote class. And that used to infuriate all of us. 
what do you think? Just tell us the answer. But I guarantee, I guarantee you, all of us would say the same thing that we are so grateful for the fact that he forced us to figure it out because we're all so much better and smarter because of that, because he would never, he would never just give you the answer. He would make you figure it out yourself. And he would give you the space to screw up without yelling. He would give you the space to um, make sure that it was, it was the ultimate safe space to just play, be a kid, make mistakes. Um, it was such an incredible experience to be able to, to just learn and not, um, not have like the slings and arrows that I feel like a lot of these young people are experiencing now. Like we were so protected and safe and we could just figure ourselves out in ways that I feel like these kids are like so watched now. Um, We just, we weren't like we, nothing streamed live. You know what I'm saying? Like the internet wasn't watching us. Like we could just mess up and like, then somebody like Hamrick would tap you on the shoulder and be like, Oh, do it like this. Or like Kid Cash would be like, you know, next time, you know, and I think it was so valuable because like you could you could screw up and somebody would lovingly tell you what you did wrong and how to do it better next time. And you didn't have somebody on the Internet armchair quarterbacking. You had a, a loved family member just giving you advice instead. And I think that's why all of us have this longevity. Because not only did we have that, we also had the safety of, you know, there were no weird men around us because, you know, the 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 older men, you know, the fathers and uncle figures in our life didn't allow that shit. You know, like it was just we were loved, we were protected, we were kept safe. And um, it was just such such a blessing. Um I can't say enough about the type of person Jason is. I can't say enough about the type of person Chris Hamrick is. I can't say enough about the type of person Kid Cash is. Like, um, I can't say enough about the type of person that New Jack is. God God rest him. Um, Balls Mahoney, God rest him. I mean, all of these Axel Rotten, God rest him. All these wonderful people that raised me in the business. I am so unbelievably blessed because they were phenomenal mentors and um, really, really lucky to have been able to sit under the learning tree of these men. Really, really fortunate. Wow. So much to unpack there. So much to unpack. 23-ish years old, and you have to tell this locker room of men what to do you would expect most men would be like, you know, who is this little lady right here telling me what to do? You know what I mean? Like that, that's that you gotta you gotta learn to have some balls very quickly. Me, I've I, I work with a co-worker um for my 12-hour shifts that I do. I have a hard time like 
I don't like telling people what to do, even though I'm supposed to be telling them what to do. So I ended up doing everything. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's just me. But like at that age to be have that thrown at you, man, that's like that's how you learn. Like you have to, you, you're forced to. And another thing that you said that was really poignant to me was um, uh, him making you uh, figure it out for yourself and and not giving you the answer making you figure it out for yourself that's so that is so important i think um instead of you know having your little tushy wiped or, you know you know what i mean like having like somebody like watch after you and and look after you and and, and cradle you no like throw them out there and and make them and eventually you know you will get those lessons because you have to you're forcing yourself to so that that all of that that whole story that you just told was just like one of the best stories. I've had 170 guests on this show and that was one of the best stories I've ever heard of somebody coming through and getting into the business. Thank you so much for all of that information, Shannon. Really, really cool. Um, <laughs> I, I have this whole uh, idea of, 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 you know, the, the theme of this interview that I wanted to go through. <clears throat> and if you want to, if you want to branch off and talk about this, talk about that, go for it. No problem. Um, but again, I want to talk about lessons and your favorite and worst memory of each place. And <clears throat> when I say worst memory, it could be like something like a, just a frustrating experience from what you're doing in your job, which it happens all the time. Uh, <clears throat> so uh, Jersey All Pro, uh, you said you started there in 1999. Uh, do you have mm -hmm. lessons that you can talk about and your favorite and worst memory there? So lessons from Jersey All Pro. The lesson is that um, when your boss creates a familial atmosphere, and I know this is true, like because it's happening at XPW, the people turn out healthier, right? Um, so Fat Frank and Jeff Shapiro owned Jersey All Pro and they cared so deeply about the people that worked there. So what ended ha up happening is you saw less drug abuse, you saw less injuries, you saw um, people that deeply cared about each other. And you have seen over the past 25, 30 years, friendships that have stood the test of time. I still talk to almost everybody I met at JAP. It's been 25 years. That's rare because most people say they can't count five friends uh, on their hand at the end of their time in wrestling. So that's really, that's really interesting. So the lesson is when you create an atmosphere where people really care about each other and love each other. People are healthier, their friendships are stronger, and they come out of the business with, um, you know, more positive feelings, not only about wrestling, but about themselves as people. One of the things about JP was there were a lot of young wrestlers, you know, people that were. 13, 14, 15 years old that were wrestling, you know, Dixie and Blue and, uh, you know, a lot of those younger kids that, you know, were in that group at, at ROH, you remember, right? Of course, yeah. 
so they all were JAP students, all those kids. So what ended up happening with those kids is the whole point was they were being raised to not only be great wrestling wrestlers, but good people that were going to have good lives after wrestling. And I think that was Frank's philosophy. That was Magic's philosophy. That was uh, Rick Silver's philosophy. You know, so I think that was the lesson. Like if you if you create a good atmosphere, you're going to have good people coming out of the situation. And, And I think I know that's true because Rob Black is doing the same thing Um, because it's a very close familial locker room. And, you know, we're seeing the same situation come out where all these good people are just spreading good things out into the universe. Um, My favorite um, memory, I'm trying to think favorite, but there's so many. I mean, um, favorite memory. I you know honestly travel because like you know trips that you that you would do like and just outside of the wrestling stuff you know like um it was the most fun you know like being in hotels with people like I used to love to you know, wake up in the morning and, you know, I, I was always an early bird back then. So like, I was always be up before anybody else. And, you know, just like walking around, you know, the hotels and, you know, everybody be sleeping and, you know, just have that moment to really, you know, before everybody woke up. I also, um, I remember meeting Trent Acid for the first time was really funny because, um, I was in a hotel room with Christy Kiss and um Trent was looking for Billy Real and somebody had told them Billy and Johnny that um he was with us so we were getting ready for the show and I always was dressed really like sexy for the shows so I was in lingerie and like I opened the door and Trent and Johnny were like standing at the door and like Verdi, like even years later, could tell you exactly the lingerie I was wearing. Like it was like so burned into his memory. Um, but like, but yeah, so those are the favorite memories, like not necessarily like the memories like at the shows, but like memories, you know, personal after. memories, yeah. Yeah, personal memories. Um I think. The hardest stuff for me at JP was, and and Frank, if he was alive, would tell you this was, you know, at that time, it could be hard on women because there was only a couple of us and there was some sense of misogyny and, um, you know, some sense of, um, sexual impropriety and things like that that went on that Frank then did apologize to me for way later um so I think that was the hardest thing and one of the reasons why I did leave because I just 
I was one of those people that if love wasn't being served, I got up from the table because I was older when I got into the business. I was 22. And I think, which isn't really that old, but like it was old enough for me to have that sort of self-esteem where I was just like, I'm not going to put up with a lot of bullshit. Um, so, um, so that would be what I would say was something that I didn't love as much. Um, but that was typical of the times I would say a lot of women of my generation would say that that was also a thing for them too. Absolutely. Of course, you know, a lot of people say, oh, it was a different time. Yeah, it definitely was. You can't do that stuff now, that's for sure. Uh, but thank you for sharing all that. Uh, and I wanted to bring it to uh, the doghouse, which you had mentioned before. Uh, again, we're keeping with the theme. Lessons, favorite and worst memory. Oh, uh, lessons from the doghouse. Um lessons from the doghouse that's such an interesting question um I think for me the lesson from the doghouse was discipline because like for me it took a lot first of all like the discipline of the people that were there because we all had to be they all had to be there every Saturday right like to train right I mean, they were there during the week training, but there was a show every Saturday, a showcase every Saturday that was open to the public and, you know, tickets were sold and, you know, everything like that. But like, for me, like in order to build trust with those people, like I had to show up and, um, I had to make that trip from Manhattan it took me like three trains all the way into Brooklyn and sit there all night. And then like at three o'clock in the morning, go back. And so for me, it was the discipline of doing that every Saturday that I wasn't booked somewhere else. And it's like, even though you're a kid and you have stamina, like sometimes there's other shit you'd rather be doing. Like, and so like, for me, it was the discipline and it was part of the dues paying process of, you know, if you want these people to love and trust you, you have to be there. You have to be there, even if you're tired, even if you want to be doing something else, even if, you know, like you want to go out on a date, like you have to have that discipline. So I think that was the lesson I took from the doghouse. Like they have the discipline, they're there training. So like, you have to be there too. Like you have to, you have to have that discipline as well. So that was the lesson there for me. I mean, the best parts of it for me were building the relationships with those people, because candidly, those are the best people I ever met in wrestling. Um, you know, Louis Ramos once um, got in a cab from Queens with a humongous TV, like you remember those TVs? Like, I don't know if you had them in Australia, but they were like fucking tanks. And <laughs> yeah. like, yeah. and like my, my TV broke and he like traveled like in a cab from like Queens to Manhattan because my TV broke and like he brought me this TV. And like, you know, like I have tons of stories of like people from the doghouse saving my ass. And it's just like, 
you know, these people never let me down, you know? So it's just, I'm so lucky with my friendships from the doghouse because, you know, these are the people that always have your back, um, no matter what. And I think my happiest memories are, you know, just walking down the street for pizza, you know, at, at intermission, or there was this lady that sold, um, pastries like out of her front yard. And like, right before the show started, we would all go and get pastries from her, you know, her little cart and then take them back and eat them during the show. And, um, you know, um, Bobby Lombardi, who owned the, um, Bobby Lombardi, who owned the, uh, who owned the company used to sit like right at the front steps, you know, like as you would come in and that was his spot and he would sit at the front steps and, you know, like I would always make it a point to like sit down on the step with Bobby and talk to him every show and like, just, you know, like get like soak up the life wisdom you know, cause he owned several businesses and he was such a brilliant man. And, you know, I think those are my, my happiest memories. I remember like one of the guys, his wife was pregnant and like, he, he, he had brought her to the show because, you know, he didn't want to leave her home alone. It was their first baby. And he was like, he told her to stay next to me because he was the only person in the building she, he trusted and you know it was just stuff like that you know little things like that I think my worst memory is when um Russ Haas died and I in the building standing next to the practice ring when we all found out and um it's one of those moments where you just don't forget it um and it has nothing to do with the doghouse specifically it's just a moment where we were all together when a tragedy happened and you're just standing there and you kind of don't know what to do, you know, and, and everybody's just sort of like standing there looking at each other, like, um, and so that was particularly horrible because I, and, and again, I can see that memory, you know, like I just remember somebody going, running in going, Oh my God, Russ died. And, and I'm just, we're just all looking at each other. Like, wait, what, <laughs> you know? So it was, it was, that's probably the worst memory. Cause like nothing bad ever happened at the doghouse. Like Bobby was like a fucking pit bull. Like he, he created a force field around that place. So like it, it, it was damn near impossible to have a bad moment or memory at the doghouse. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's, I think why everybody remembers it so fondly because he protected all of us so forcefully. Candidly, you'll find this interesting. Probably I hate funerals. And so a lot of people I know have died in wrestling a lot, Uh, but I've only ever been to one funeral and that's Bobby Lombardi's. Um, because there was no way I was not going to show my respect to the greatest man I ever knew. All right. Wow. 
I think maybe uh, from here on, I'll get you to say the worst memory first before the favourite one so we can end each chapter here on a better note. Um, on a positive note. <laughs> oh, my gosh. As you were talking about that, I quickly Googled things. I can't believe he, Russ was 27. No, that's. Yeah, and so that's why we were all so surprised because we were like, what went wrong here? Oh, gosh, crazy. Um, but this is wrestling business. This is very prevalent. And if you've been in it 25 years, you've been through all these locker rooms, uh, working with all these people, you're bound to know at least 50 to 100 people that are probably passed on. So yep. um, that that heartache is is all the way through this journey, as well as the, the good times that we've been talking about here as well. Um, so uh, I wanted to bring it now to uh, JCW. Uh, again, lessons, favorite, worst memories. Um, so what's fun about uh, JCW? So what people know now as JCW bears no resemblance to what JCW was. Ricky O was the owner of JCW for years and years and years. And um, so Ricky O and Fat Frank were like, if you think about the Sopranos, that's pretty much what Jersey wrestling looked like in the nineties and two thousands. Actually, Ricky O and fat Frank were both extras in the Sopranos. <laughs> no, they really were. Really? Um, oh my yeah, God. For sure. yeah. My favorite show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they were extras in the Sopranos. And, wow. um, so they were very mafiosi type guys and, um, very Italian, um, New Jersey guys. And so Ricky ran that company like, and not in a super negative way, but ran that company like Tony Soprano would have run his business. And he had um, what we called stooges um, that would run around and do things for you and help you and pick you up from the airport and get you coffee and things like that. And um, so a lesson that I learned was from Ricky was how to run a business and how to run an organization and how to um, not only get people to do things for you, but how to treat them so that they would continue to want to be a part of your organization. You know, because Ricky did not mistreat people. He treated people very well. And that's why people wanted to continue to be a part of his organization, not just wrestling for him, but working for him in a support capacity. And I think that was such an important lesson for me. Ricky was a wonderful businessman. He was very intelligent. Uh, he knew how to run his business. He made good money. He made smart business decisions. Um, he was very successful for a lot of years. Um, he did not mistreat people. He did not, um, he didn't do shady things. Um, and so I think that he really taught me so much about how to run a business and how to treat people with respect. And, um, I think that was the big lesson that I learned. Um, and also how many people it takes to run a medium to large size wrestling company. Cause I think JP was such a family business in, in a certain way that I, I don't think, and, and so was the doghouse that I didn't really understand until I got to JCW 
looked at how many people it took to run a, 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 a medium to large size wrestling company. Um, and, and that was a huge, um, a huge thing to, to learn and understand. Um, favorite memories. Honestly, those shows were just so high quality. So, you know, Jersey J cups where like, you know, CM Punk is coming in and, and Daniel Bryan is coming in and, you know, um, there's just all this excitement. And, and I mean, those were the first big splashy, um, exciting, like wrestling shows that I ever worked where like it's name wrestling time, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, so it was interesting and exciting to be a part of that and to learn how to navigate that and to, um, and, and also with Ricky, what was really fun too, is there was a culture of let's all be together after the show. So we would all go out to dinner and those special times when we would all be sitting around the table at a Friday's or an Applebee's or whatever. And it was egalitarian, like, you know, the star would come out too, you know? And I think that's also, those are also incredibly special times because those are the times when you really get to know people really well and um, you really get to understand them and, um, you know, reckless youth and, and all of those people from New Jersey that, uh, that you would, you know, remember, uh, I, I got to know them and work with them then. And, um, it was a very special time. I really enjoyed that time. I think worst memory was that I was just very restless being a photographer. I knew there was more out there for me. And I, um, that was a point in my life where I was just like ready to, to, to move. Yeah. Um, you know, cause like I had gotten my master's and, you know, super educated. And I just knew that I, I was ready to do more. And again, and this is not, anything about any of the people I ever worked for very early in my career, the opportunities for women to do what I do did not exist then. I mean, they barely exist now. So like, <laughs> you know, so that would, that would be that, you know? Right. Very cool. Well, thank you for again, sharing all that. And I'm going to take a quick sidebar here with you and ask you, for the layman out there that doesn't quite understand, how do you run a locker room? How do you run a locker room? I think everybody's philosophy is different. Um, so for me, I am incredibly organized in a way that perhaps some people aren't and maybe perhaps a lot of men aren't, which is why I tend to get hired a lot. Um, so. <laughs> We're useless. <laughs> and not necessarily, but Some like good. I I have a tendency to really be intensely organized. 
so that people know, you know, way ahead of time who their referee is, how much time they have. Um, you know, I really push promoters to pay ahead of time if they can. Um, you know, back in the day it was envelopes. Now people are paying digitally. You know, I when they get there, I try to make sure that things like there's enough chairs, there's water, there's um, uh, there's separate bathroom facilities if that's possible in the building. Um, you know, I'm making sure that the card is posted with their referee and their time information. You know, I'm having personal conversations with each athlete to make sure that they know what's um, expected of them. Um, you know, I am liaising with the, the front office to make sure that the ticketing is taken care of. I am making sure that if there is a list of comps that uh, that's taken care of. Um, I am making sure that if the athletes have concerns about things, like if they're unhappy with who they're working, if they are um, concerned about what they're being asked to do, that I am liaising with the promoter to allay those concerns. Um, so there's a lot of things that go into running a locker room. I'm also making sure that people know that they have to keep to their times because, you know, they're disrespecting each other if they don't. Um, I'm talking to the promoter about how long the intermission needs to be. If we're having an intermission, I'm talking to the athletes about, um, do they have merch to sell? Who's watching their merch while they're wrestling? Um, I'm talking to, um, I'm talking to security and making sure that if we have security, I'm talking to security about, um, de-escalation. I'm talking to them about how we handle incidents. I'm talking to them if I think there may be an incident based on, um, you know, what's planned or if wrestlers may go into the audience. Do we have barricades? Do we not have barricades? Um, so there's more that goes into it that people may think. Um, you know, I may be liaising with the people that do catering. Um, for various reasons, whether um, I'm concerned about something um, or whether the wrestlers may need food or whatever have you. Um, so there's a lot of different things that go into it. Um, do you have questions about that? Because like sometimes people have specific questions about what it means to run a locker room. And I'd be interested to know if you have questions. Um, the only things that were like actually popping in my mind just now were, gosh, it must be so much easier these days on your phone where you can liaise with everyone very quickly. Whereas like what, like in the mid two thousands, you might not be as easy to do that or even earlier than that. Um, you know, it's actually, I, I actually, you still have to walk up to people and have conversations. Um, because a lot of times in at least in the United States, these venues, the Wi-Fi is terrible. Oh, um, and 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 also when people are are working, they're not necessarily going to be picking up their phone. So yeah. a lot of times, you know, moving around and and having personal conversations, and also, you know, a personal conversation goes a, a long way when they when you walk up to somebody and you talk to them and you thank them, and you know, a lot of times 
that really goes a long way with people. Right. So what worked back then still works now. You don't need to be going on your phone. Okay. Uh, that, see there. See, look, I have no idea. I, I have no idea how to to run a proper locker room in pro wrestling. I made an assumption, and you debunked it. Very well done, Shannon. Um, so that's <laughs> cool. Uh, so uh, for everyone out there who might be a bit confused, because there are more than one JCW, this is Jersey Championship Wrestling that became Game Changer Wrestling. Is that correct? No. So Game Changer right. Wrestling is thing. Jersey Championship Wrestling still exists under the banner of Game Changer Wrestling, right? Okay. And so um, Brett bought it from Riccio. Okay, right. So you'll you'll see JCW shows being run GCW weekends, especially um, at Showboat. Oh, okay they're very different from what we did back in the day. Very, very super different, but it's, it's a brand underneath the GCW banner currently. Okay. So now I'm learning even more. That's good. And, and also everyone, it, it was never juggalo championship wrestling, if that's what you're thinking, <laughs> um, which is another JCW that's out there. Uh, okay. So the next thing, you've talked a little bit about some of these things that you've learned. Uh, you learned how to run a, a business and, and things of that mm -hmm. nature. And, you know, you're obviously quite educated and and you, you've been so obsessed with wrestling, you're ready to get to that next level. And I'm skipping a little bit ahead here, but you talked to me earlier uh, with some notes that you sent me about helping start Delaware Championship Wrestling with Jeff Rocker. Uh, mm -hmm. Tell me about that process of just going into this new venture. So years prior, I had done like a show or two with the old CZW under John Zandig. Yeah. And I didn't do a lot of that because John and Fat Frank didn't get along. So Frank always discouraged me from going over there. But so I did a couple because... Cashmere and Trent had said to me, hey, come down. We'd really love to have you. So, but I met Jeff Rocker, who I refer to as Rock. Um, I met Rock then. And so Rock and I had maintained a friendship throughout that time. And then Rock came to work for Jason Knight at Assault Championship Wrestling. So then we continued to be very close friends. And then when Rock decided to start his company in Delaware, he said, uh, shit, come help me, <laughs> you know, cause like I'm only one person. So rock and I, you know, started to create this, um, structure for DCW DCW still exists by the way. Um, and, uh, they're, they're a beautiful company. And, um, so but Rock and I created DCW and um, it was sort of based around students that he had at the time and um, some name people, including like Mickey James and some other folks that we had a fun story here. So he had originally booked Homicide for like, it was like maybe the first or second show, but D double booked himself. And it was like a hardcore match or something. And he said, Rock said to me, well, who can we get to replace D? And I said, there's only one person we can get to replace D. 
And he's like, don't say it. And I was like, there's only one person, Justice Payne. Well, Jeff and Justice Payne did not get along. And I'm like, I don't really care if you like Chris. We have to book him. Well, so it ended up Chris worked there for like five fucking years (laughs) because, you know, like, number one, Chris was just an amazing guy. He was so loyal. He was so hardworking. And I, listen, I just love that motherfucker so much. I mourn him so hard because he was just the best person. But, um, you know, I am a Justice Payne fan for life because he did everything for us. Um, and, uh, and truly deeply, he and Jeff never did get along, but he was just awesome to the rest of us. And, um, he was, and I will say this until the end of time, Justice Payne was the most chivalrous human being I've ever met in wrestling. He could be very cantankerous with other men. There's no lie in that. But if you were a woman, he was the kindest, warmest, most chivalrous person I ever met in my life. I will never forget when Velvet Sky broke up with this guy she was dating, Dylan Cage. And Dylan was working, um, was working Justice Payne. And so Chris said to Jamie, hey, you know, I want you to come out and watch this match. And Jamie and I were like, huh. So this was at DC, was at DCW. So Jamie and I were like standing there watching this match. And like, all of a sudden, like it turned into this like pier six brawl. And then Chris pulls Dylan into the, into the concession stand and dumps every condiment on this kid in the entire concession stand completely ruins his gear. (laughs) Like, and Jamie and I were looking at each other, like, (laughs) like he was the sweetest guy, like the most chivalrous person. Like if he loved you, he loved you. Like, and he was the most loyal person. Um, and so, I I always used to say, like, if there was one person on earth that I would like to see again, it's just his pain. Like, he was just my favorite, favorite person I ever worked with, really and truly. He really was. Oh, that's lovely to hear. Uh, And, you know, pretty much everyone I've had on the show that has has had a story to tell about him has said something very positive. So uh, good to keep putting out those positive vibes into the universe for him. so uh again uh obviously Delaware Championship Wrestling's pretty important uh you know time in your life there uh again do do you have any extra lessons that you've learned from there and also worst and favorite memories <clears throat> Favorite memory is that I met um one of the great loves of my life there um he you know, we were young and we didn't stay together, but, um, he and I are still really close friends and I just feel very lucky to have had a relationship that awesome, um, that early in my life. Um, his name is Chris Wild and just an immensely great person and immensely great athlete. Um, but so that's where he and I met and, um, I would not have had that experience in my life 
without being there. Um, he was a student of Jeff Rocker's and uh, just feel lucky to have met him. Um, but yeah, one of the absolutely great loves in my life and I would not trade him for the world. Um, so definitely that um, awesome experience. Uh, worst memory. I honestly can't think of one candidly. I mean, there are no bad memories from DCW. It, like the, we, I always used to call us the Delaware click because like we, again, very close, very familial group of people. Even when Jeff decided to leave the business, we all hung together and kept the place open. The place is still open. All of those people are still close friends. I think the proof is in the pudding because they're all excellent people, you know, and um, I think there's just a lot of, um, you know, they were all trained well, they were all loved well, they're all good business people, they're all good people, and I think that, um, you know, Jeff did a good job, I feel like I'm very proud of of what we did. I'm very proud of um, what everybody there is doing, but I can't think of any bad memories. I mean, we, everything was fun. Like when it, like that, when you say live in the dream, like that was living the dream. Like we were just so happy to go to work because we all just enjoyed each other so much. Like you know, we would do Halloween shows and we would dress up and, you know, like in costumes and, and, you know, like it was just fucking fun, man. Like that's how you want it to be. You know, nobody's drinking excessively. Nobody's doing drugs. Like, you know, the audience is full of kids and families and like, it's just fucking fun, man. Like it's what wrestling is about. And I think, um, you know, I think I was very lucky to have that experience because, you know, not many people and my career evolved then too, because, you know, they got to see me evolve from a photographer to running a show to ring announcing to managing. So like my career completely evolved while I was at DCW. So like, you know, um, they got to see me run the gamut of of who I became in the business. So I think that was, um, that was so fun for me, for them, um, for the fans. And I think my lesson there was, you know, that I could be anything that I wanted to be. Um, and they gave me the space to be anything that I wanted to be, that I could bring an ounce, that I could manage, that I could, you know, just sort of do whatever I wanted to be. Cause I think, I think, a lot of times, especially as women, you're sort of pigeonholed into one spot. And I think my career is proof positive that you, that there's no reason for you to be like, I've done everything, everything. Um, so there's no reason to be pigeonholed into one spot. Like there's, there's absolutely no reason for that because I've done everything that you could possibly imagine. And I've been good at it and successful at it. That is awesome. I love it. Um, continuing on, 
uh, you co-own another wrestling company with Eddie Valentine. Can you tell me a little mm-hmm. bit about that? So WPW was owned by a guy named Pinky Flamingo when I started working there. And so I worked there for an extended period of time. And then Pinky started to have some problems. And he came to me and Eddie and he said, would you like to buy the company? And we looked at each other and we were like, yeah. Um, So, you know, Eddie, myself and another guy named Tony Dalton, who was um, doing the, you know, the technical aspects. um, We purchased the company and um, we ran out of Reading, Pennsylvania. and we were quite successful for quite a few years. And in 2013, um, Eddie's husband um, had a very severe illness. So we had to take a break, which ended up leading to us folding. But um, those were the happiest years of my life. One of the fun things about working with somebody like Eddie is that we just laughed all the time because when you, when you're working with somebody that's your best friend that you really like, like everything is funny. Even when bad shit happens, everything is funny. So like, um, you know, I remember Rory Gulak climbing a ladder and the ladder slipping out from under him. And it literally like fell into the crowd and I'm on commentary and I remember all I hear is like back behind me in the locker room. I hear Eddie start screaming and cursing and like, that was funny. Like everything is funny. Everything is funny. Like, you know, no matter what happens, everything is funny. Like those crowds were so unbelievably hot. Cause like those are the crowds, the the very old school crowds you ever see like the old school crowds from the NWA where like Jim Cornette and baby doll and stuff were getting attacked. I get attacked all the time because I was a full-time manager then. And I was doing a Christian fundamentalist gimmick at that point. Um, And I used to get attacked all the time. One time I got pulled off the ring apron doing a spot and I turned around and it was this little old lady with no teeth. So I couldn't hit her or anything. And my photographer was like grabbing her like, ma'am, ma'am, you have to let go because she had me by the hair and she wouldn't let go. And, um, and it was the craziest thing because she stopped me from doing the spot and the guy I was managing was looking down and like, we couldn't do anything because I can't smack the shit out of this lady. Cause she's like 9,000 years old, but that shit used to happen all the time because these people, like it was real to them because it was like Reading and it was kind of like a rural place. Like, you know, the internet really hadn't touched there, you know? Right. And I, I remember doing a show in a um, in a gay club and one of the drag queens was a ring announcer and they hadn't smartened her up. And we were we were doing this one particular spot where we were hanging this one little gay kid on a cross, very similar to what we did with body in. um, in Yeah. And um, so we they didn't smarten up the, um, they didn't smarten up the, the, the ring announcer who was uh, a drag queen. Don't you know, this, this, this woman, um, came in 
and knocked the fuck out of me while I was cutting this promo. <laughs> and the guy that was working with me, like, didn't know what to do. So he grabbed the mic out of my hand and finished cutting the promo. I was like, thanks, dude. You know, but like, so stuff like that used to happen to me all the time at WPW because the crowds were so hot. But um, everything was funny. Everything was funny. We just laughed. We had a good time. We got so much heat. Like it was for me, it was one of the most fruitful creative times because Eddie was such a great writer and he's, he found in me a performer um, who could do anything, you know? So anything he wrote, I could perform it. And I think it was really fun for him because like whatever outrageous stuff he wanted to do, I was there for it. And I think it was fun for both of us and it was an exciting time and and we both just really enjoyed ourselves. And, you know, a lot of it you couldn't do now um, because everybody is so like tight. Um, But, (laughs) um, but we had a lot of fun and it was very, it was a creative and exciting time. Yes. It's so frustrating the way it is these days. That's why I really love watching XPW and a lot of people out there just, just because they've heard about things and have watched Dark Side of the Ring or whatever, uh, they immediately oh, it's just so shit, it's shit. But I watch it because I'm like, they do things that like actually like, I don't know, it's like something for an adult to watch. I don't want to watch, as Schlack said to me when I interviewed him, a uh, wrestling where the, you know, baby powder has been put up the ass, you know, it, I can't stand that over sanitized, like squeaky clean wrestling. I want something that to sink my teeth into. I want something that's controversial and is, things are going to make me mad. And it's okay that they make me mad because people like that, that make you mad, they actually do exist in real life but they don't want anyone to be uh, on a level uh, of of garnering heat that's insulting to them. But heat can be done in a different way. They don't need to go that. Yes, they do. Because if you watch Law and Order, okay, you watch these these TV shows with actual crimes taking place, the bad guy, you know, people don't watch that show and get all upset because the, 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 the rapist, you know, you know, rape somebody or whatever. It's an act of portraying something. I'm not saying wrestling needs to have something like that happen, but it's just an example. Something bad happens on a show, you know, things like that happen in real life. I remember once I watched The Sopranos, big fan of the show, Ralphie beat one of the strippers to death, just hitting her, and I was so upset I couldn't eat my dinner. You know, I must have been about in my early 20s, but I was so upset about it. But I, I wasn't going to, like, complain about it and, like, send in a letter or anything like that. But it was something that was confronting for me, and I had to deal with it. And guess what? Ralphie got his comeuppance eventually because Tony killed him. So that's, that's that's what I wanted to say about that is that I just missed, like, when, when wrestling companies could actually do real heat and do things that actually upset people. Um, so that you just you just brought out a bit of passion in me there, Shannon. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, so very cool. Um, we're getting towards the tail end here, Shannon, but of course there's two big companies that I need to ask you about. Combat yep. Zone Wrestling, first and foremost. How did you get involved with CZW? So DJ and I have been friends for over 15 years, and so when they came back from the pandemic, um, 
DJ and I had a conversation and I said, you know, I'd like to work for you. And he said, yeah, that's a good idea. (laughs) You know, and my role just has evolved over time because, you know, I'm sure you've seen on, on Twitter, people are like, oh, indie wrestling needs PR and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, you know, okay, I can do that. Um, so I, I do PR, I do, you know, a lot of customer service functions, but in, in CZW, especially I do talent relations on the deathmatch side. And, um, so I, am sort of liaising with the athletes. I, I am the first line of defense in, in terms of choosing which athletes come into the company, things like that. Um, uh, doing sponsorships, all of that stuff. So, you know, if it's deathmatch and CZW, I'm generally handling it. Very cool. Very cool. So uh, through doing that, I mean, this is, I mean, I, and this isn't anything against any of the other companies, uh, but like this feels like this is a name, like CZW is a big, big name in, 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 Especially deathmatch, of course. When that was probably that was one of the first ones in the USA that uh, really inspired a lot of people that ended up getting into that field or that that kind of style of pro wrestling. Um, so to be in a, in a company on that scale, you know, how was it? Um, not only getting involved with that and 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 the lessons you learned, but also dealing with. I don't, I don't know. Were you there during the time period of uh, COVID and all that, or did you come in after that? Um, so I came in sort of in the middle of COVID and so we were sort of resetting and I think, you know, it's such a, it's such an interesting thing. I think too, as a woman, I think in deathmatch, I think people would not have expected me to have the role that I have. I think I may be the only woman that I'm doing this job. You know, I'm sure people will write in and correct me if there's somebody else, but I think for the most part, I'm the only woman executive level in deathmatch for the most part there is at least in the higher companies there's a there's a woman um in michigan her name is rachel and she runs horror slam um but like in terms of like you know my level i think you know at the very least i was one of the first so i think it took a long time for people to go okay we trust you and we understand what you do. And cause I just came in like, you know, the proverbial Miley Cyrus wrecking ball. And I didn't, I didn't really like shoot out my resume and say, this is who I am. And this is what I do. And I was hired to do this. I just started going on the, the Facebook groups and I, you know, doing the PR and everything like that. And, you know, cause I was just like, I've been in the business 25 years. I really don't give a fuck. You know, I'm just going to do my job and you're either going to accept it or you're not. Um, and so, I mean, it really was only like fairly recently, like a couple of weeks ago, one of the fans was like, so what exactly do you do? (laughs) You know? And I, then I was like, you know, here's, here's exactly what I do. And they were like, oh, all right. You know, but like, you know, I, I didn't come in with like any set job description. Like, I just was like, I'm going to be here and, and do the thing and whatever the thing is we'll just figure it out as we go along because it's indie wrestling. Like you just sort of pitch in where you can. Mm. I mean, the thing that I was supposed to do fundamentally was take care of the talent. Cause I'm a talent relations person and I run the locker room. And so, um, 
you know, initially I was overarching over the whole company. And then, so I was going to all of the shows, right? And then at a certain point I said to DJ, I need to focus on death. And that was a really, really smart decision. Um, so once I started, once I pivoted to just to just death, I think my career took a really great turn. And then um, I want to say a year and a half, almost two years ago now, um, you know, when Rob Black um, was rebooting XPW, I, um, you know, I was excited about the project. I started retweeting stuff and everything. And then Rob hit me up on Twitter in a DM and he's like, Hey, you seem like a really cool person, you know, thank you for, you know, um, thank you for, you know, helping out and everything like that. And then one of the people that works with him, um, lives in Manhattan and hit me up and was like, Hey, can we do lunch? And I said, yeah, that'd be great. So I did lunch with him. And then while we were at lunch, this gentleman said, you know, Rob never answers his phone, but while we're here, you know, maybe I'll give him a call and see, you know, if you could talk to him. Well, Rob answered his phone. And so I talked to Rob. And so that was how my relationship with XBW started. And it just sort of evolved. And, um, then when they started doing shows in Newark, I was able to be there in person. And, and of course, you know, once you're there in person then that sort of cements the relationship because I had been working sort of remotely, um, before then and just doing, you know, light PR and things like that. Um, and then we had some incidents where like PR needed to be very heavy. Like there was a problem with dirty Ron mm -hmm. and, you know, a problem with Masada. And then, you know, once that problem with Brig hit, I got a call from Rob and he's like, are you sure you want this job? And I was like, yeah, sure do. And Rob was like, okay, <laughs> we're doing it. <laughs> and I feel like that was when, um, that was when I really sort of cemented myself in the organization. But I mean, Rob and Katie and I are very close. I was at their wedding. And, um, you know, Katie came for her birthday and, you know, we all spent time together. I talked to Katie every day and, you know, I talked to Rob all the time, you know, when there's not shows and, you know, they're very loving and supportive with me. And, you know, I just feel very lucky to be a part of the XPW family. I love the work I do for XPW. Um, I am incredibly lucky to work for CZW. And here's why. DJ has given me the opportunity to do things that no other woman in wrestling, especially indie wrestling and deathmatch has been able to do. I was able to, you know, book a TOD. I was able to, you know, really, I'm making a difference in American deathmatch. And I feel like women, unless they're working, are not allowed to do that. Like, I really have influence and say, and he's listening to me in a way that other women don't have that ability. And I'm just very grateful for him and grateful for his grace and grateful for um, 
you know, the opportunities that he's given me because, you know, really a lot of other men would have just been like, well, you'll be my secretary, Mm. you know? And, um, that is not what I'm doing, um, at all, not even a little bit. And I think that, you know, he's been very gracious and very, um, good at allowing me to just do my job and, um, you know, let me take care of the things that he knows that I'm good at. And, um, I think it takes a lot of, you have to be a certain type of person to take your ego out of it. You know what I'm saying? And, and just let some, let a woman do what they do, because I think it's so easy to like, let it, let a Maven Bentley or Derek Sabato do these things. But when it's a woman, I feel like there's some extra element of mental gymnastics that goes with it. Um, and, and I think that he has navigated that super well. And he's just like, go do your job. And I have your back. And it's been, um, an incredible experience and I'm super lucky. And I think the only drawback for me has just been, you know, it's not hard to work for DJ. It's hard to work for CZW because Mm -hmm. CZW comes with this baggage that, um, you know, people are angry about things that, that came before me that I don't understand or have knowledge about or, don't understand the history of and have nothing to do with me. And I'm still trying to navigate that somehow. Um, I will say that the, the people that run the groups like Andy Lawler are wonderful to me and they're wonderful at saying, Hey, stop giving this girl bullshit, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Um, But you know, I, I, that would be the only drawback for me. Like, it's not about my boss. It's about, people who are angry about things that happened years ago that I, that have nothing to do with me and that I can't fix. Like I can only fix now. Like I can't fix what you're angry about from 10 years ago or five years ago or whatever. Like I can only make now amazing. And so like that would be the only drawback for CZW for me. For XPW, there really is no drawbacks. Um, you know, XPW is a great place to work. Everybody is amazing. I love, one of the things I love about Rob, especially doing PR is I am the type of person who hates to apologize for shit and XPW, the PR philosophy overarching is we are who we are and we're not going to say we're sorry. And so that really aligns with my philosophy as a PR person also. And so it's been very, um, it's been great to work for somebody who um, aligns with your philosophy on how you work as well. So, um, you know, I think for me, I think he's, he's a brilliant guy. He's very unapologetic. He knows where he's headed, um, business wise, he has a plan and he's a very much trust the process person. And so, um, and he also cares deeply about all of us. 
And I think that's what I think overarching, I want people to know about both Rob and DJ. And that's why they actually get along. Um, They're both incredibly warm and caring people that care deeply about us and um, want us to have a good experience, want us to be successful and, um, you know, want the best for everybody that works for them. And I think that's what people on the outside don't necessarily understand about what's going on internally at either company. Very, very interesting. And it's just crazy that you're, you're with both the companies at the same time. Uh, so, I mean, that that's, that's props to you. I mean, that's really, that's a lot of work to, to, to do. And um, I, I'd love, I'd love the whole philosophy. I love the whole philosophy of not giving a shit. And this is who we are. If you don't, if you don't like it, you guess what? You don't have to watch. You don't have to look at our Twitter. You can block us if you don't like it. Uh, I see it every time after every single, especially the XPW events. There's always this tribe of people with their pitchforks out trying to do something to to disrupt, um, you know, the the joy that XPW has in showing what they produced on that particular show. And uh, I look at all those comments. And I'm like, you didn't even watch the show. You're still like a 30 second clip. So you know, the, these people who gives a shit what they think they're they're the very 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 vocal minority. And um, so I, I dig, I dig the attitude. The the mayhem, there's always something, one of the fun things about XPW is there's always something that happens on every show that causes some sort of fucking mayhem, whether it's JJ, you know, falling off the balcony and breaking his back yeah. or um, which there's, I was deeply involved in that situation. I helped him play on the spot and then I had to take care of him after that. Um, or it's the, it's the needle spot with Joe and, um, and, uh, hard body. So that was actually funny because that happened the same show as JJ breaking his back. Mm. And I will never forget them coming backstage and Rob saying to Joe, did you touch his cock? And Joe going, of course I did. And Rob going, well, you didn't have to do all that. <laughs> you know, there's always some mayhem happening every fucking show. Like there's always some wild situation, you know, incident, like, you know, that like there's never a show where we're, we're just like, oh, well, that was kind of boring. Like XPW is like there's you know there's always some you know wild thing happening the one show the last show that it was so hot in there all of a sudden like there was a loud bang and like we lost power and it was because oh, the yeah. air can blew up and you know like it was a whole big thing and you know like and then that was the that was the night we crucified body too and you know like it there's always like at least three incidents, like you can count on it every show. But like, I feel like that's why people, you know, have a tendency to watch. I mean, my personal favorite moment of every XPW show is Necro's entrance, you know, and everybody <laughs> singing. Yeah, me too. I just laugh so much. <laughs> like, even if you're not like into that, like, 
people still sing it anyways because like you get caught up in the moment like it's just like it's so like exciting and like fun and an experience like it's it, really it, really entrance is it, it it is sickeningly patriotic sickeningly <laughs> it's so like I don't know how to describe what it's like to be in the building for that, but it's like one of the coolest special moments. It's like, like, I don't know how to describe it, but it's just like, it's so dope. And like, I wish that everybody could experience it like at least once in their life. Like it's, it's really, really fun. Oh, I wish to, I mean, I've watched every single show since XPW returned and I just want to be there, but of course I live in Perth, Western Australia. So, you know, I want to be at a Halloween in hell. I want to be at one of those big shows. You know, that that to me would be uh certainly a, a you know an experience. You know, I want I want to be having some cold beers in the in the in the crowd there watching the show. Um and uh one of my other favorite experiences is um you know, when, uh, like when big Joe or like somebody else is coming out, you know, somebody that the crowd really likes, especially in heart, because like that crowd can get so loud. I mean, just the, just the, the sound in that building, um, can be so thunderous. Um, it's, it's really incredible to to hear when people are ex- cattail <laughs> um it, it's it can be incredibly thunderous to hear when um when when people are excited about something now as far as czw goes um you know i think my best moment was everybody knows and this is sort of an inside joke now everybody knows that Orin Veidt is my favorite wrestler and um people people tease me about it and they tease him about it but listen one of the things that I would like to say is that we are all people and like listen we have favorite people that we like to work with like I don't think that any promoter would tell you that like oh I don't have a favorite of course we do. Of course we do. And I think, candidly, I think it's okay to be honest about it. I think it's okay to say, like, I like this guy. He's my favorite person to work with. Like, he's my favorite person to watch. I think it's okay to be honest about, like, who we enjoy. Like, mm-hmm. I think it's dumb not to say that. Um, yeah. So Orin Bite is my favorite wrestler. And I had worked excessively hard to get him on TOD last year. Um, just cause like we needed to get his flight together and everything. And so when friends in low places <clears throat> hit last year, like <laughs> I literally was standing next to DJ's wife and DJ's wife said, Oh my God, I love this song. And she looked over at me and she was like, are you crying? And I was <laughs> like, yes, you don't understand how hard I <laughs> But yeah, so like it was, probably one of the best best moments of my career because um I was really excited to um to get him on the show and like I just thought his performance was really incredible I was so proud of it and um 
I can't wait for you guys to see him in the tournament again this year. Um, I also, I think one of the best memories for me too, was just Bobby in general. When, so DJ had not, DJ had, during the pandemic, he had really not been paying attention to what was going on in Deathmatch. So he wasn't super familiar with Bobby. So when we announced, when I booked Bobby and he announced Bobby, um, Bobby sold the whole front row in 45 minutes last year, just off the strength of his name. And DJ was like, this is insane. And I was like, I told you, Bev is the one. So that was like one of my favorite moments. And then when we got to the show last year and told Bev he was winning, that was a really, really unique moment. Um, and, um, you know, I don't know if you've seen like the videos of him walking away with the trophy and, have, you yeah. know, just the look on his face and, you know, it was so special to him. And I remember for months after people congratulating him. And then like, I saw him like a month later at XPW and people walking up to him and congratulating him. And, you know, like it, TOD still means something. And I will never lose sight of that because I feel like DJ and I are a steward of something that is so important to people to fans, to the workers, you know, to history. So like, I will never lose sight of something that still means something to people that's important to people. And like, I'm not going to not work hard to make it special. Like, you know, when we announced Joe Dredd this year, we were like, okay, like, you know, how do we, you know, how do we want to do this? Well, we had the graphic and it was Joe Dredd's birthday. So we said, we're going to announce Joe Dredd on his birthday. And it ended up being so special for him because he really wanted to be in the tournament, yeah. you know? And then we announced him on his birthday and he's like, this is the best birthday ever. And it's just <laughs> like, when you can do that for people, it just makes it, all the hard stuff seem easier, you know? Um, like, look, I get it. It's just wrestling, man. But like, for a lot of people, this stuff means something. And like, to the extent that it does, I really want to try to make things special for people whenever I can. And um, like I said, TOD means something to people and people want to be in the tournament and they want to go to it. And so like, I feel like I'm a steward of that and DJ is a steward of that and it's important and we want to continue to create a great experience for everybody. And like, I want to do that with COD and I want to make sure that CZW continues to be great because there are a lot of people both dead and alive who worked really hard to make that banner mean something and they bled black and yellow for many, many years. And I want to make sure that it continues to be great. We've had a tough year and I understand that people are disappointed, but you know, whatever people choose to believe those things 
were not our fault. So, you know, I think that a lot of other companies would have taken a knee or completely folded under these circumstances, but DJ and I do not have quit in us. And we are going to continue to create the best shows possible for the fans, the workers, and um, for the people who believe in us. And that's just, that's just us. I mean, I have so much respect for DJ because, you know, a lot of other promoters would have thrown up their hands and he just refuses to do that. Like he, I have so much admiration because he just doesn't have quit in him. And he keeps me going because there are days that I'm just like, you know, fuck it. (laughs) But he just refuses to quit. And because of that, I refuse to quit. And I'm going to, you know, make sure that every show that we put on under this banner is going to be the best show ever. Awesome to hear. That's great. And I had DJ on my show during uh, COVID. And I think we talked for nearly four hours or something like that. So, um, I, you know, I, I believe in his uh, vision and what he wants to do. And I think it's great that he's got you involved because clearly you are just as passionate. And uh, that, uh, that's a what I think attracted me to to connecting with you is because I feel like I'm I'm as, I'm as passionate about wrestling, uh, but unfortunately I'm I'm over here in Perth, Western Australia, where I can't really do a lot with it other than have a podcast and all that. So uh, to have you on the show, Shannon, has been so awesome, and um, I'm going to leave it there because there were other questions that I had for you, but now I'm going to leave them for next time because I'm going to have to have you back on the show because of. Uh, all these great stories that you've told me. And I know from 25 years, there's probably so many more. You haven't even touched the surface yet. So um, this has been great. And uh, so I I guess, Shannon, at this point, uh, I wanted to take it to our final segment of the show where I find out about your favourite things. Are you ready? Absolutely. Okay, Shannon. Uh, from your fandom in professional wrestling, working in professional wrestling, who is your favorite pro wrestler of all time? Hollywood John Tatum. John Tatum. Wow. That's a first for this uh, this uh, podcast. Very cool answer. Uh, okay. From the history of pro wrestling, is there one match that you would say, that is my favorite match? Um. Hmm. Yeah, it's a tough one. I don't know. Um, favorite match? Probably Tully Blanchard and um, I think it was Magnum TA in the cage. Oh, right. Yep. That's a good one. I don't. I can't remember what the event was, but I know. I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, okay, mm-hmm. we're getting away from wrestling now. No, no more wrestling talk. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> do you have a favorite book? Favorite book. It is called um, Bill Graham Presents um, My Life in Music, and it is about a rock promoter from the '60s, '70s, and '80s. And he is my inspiration for being a promoter in anything. Um, he's my idol. I'm actually going to show you something. Do you see that right there? Yes. (laughs) So that's Bill and Bill's my idol. Um, So before I came to New York, I was actually a music promoter, um, promoting concerts. And so, um, so before I promoted wrestling, I promoted concerts and Bill's my idol. And so 
Phil's life story is what, um, what made me want to be a promoter. I read it in high school. And so um, that's my favorite book. Right. You know what, Shannon? I fucking knew it. I fucking knew that you had something to do with music as well, because this whole time I've been thinking to myself, you know what? Because I used to be a lead singer in a hard rock band. I was thinking to myself, man, if only she was from Perth, Western Australia, and she was our manager, we would have gone somewhere, bro. <laughs> uh, very cool. Very cool. Okay. Getting away from books, favorite TV show? My favorite TV show um, is either Miami Vice or The Eighteen. Very cool. Uh, do you have a favorite film? Uh, the Warriors. Excellent. These are great answers. Uh, favorite musical artist or band? Um, my favorite musical artist is the band uh, or Jefferson Airplane. Oh, very nice. Very, very nice. Uh, moving away from the arts now, do you have a favorite food? Uh, favorite food? Uh, well, I'm from Buffalo, so. Uh, Chicken wings. Mmm, delicious. Damn, that, that answer just made me hungry. Uh, do you have a favourite place to eat on the road? Uh, sheets. I've never heard of that. Sheets is very similar to, like, if you've ever heard wrestlers talk about Wawa. Yes, actually, that was Big F and Joe's favourite place to eat on the road. <laughs> uh-huh. So it's an American, it, it's an American, like, um, convenience store but it's actually bigger than it's larger than wawa and it's like sort of northeastern u.s but like more pennsylvania places like that it's fucking fantastic and i love it <laughs> okay i'm gonna have to put another thing on the list when, when i finally visit the u.s it'll be one fat boy uh okay uh, favorite alcoholic beverage and if you don't drink just a favorite beverage in general uh okay so i don't drink a lot um but I do love um, like uh, rosé mm. uh, and sangria. But like I exist purely off of coffee, especially cold brew. <laughs> awesome. Uh, here comes the second last one, Shannon. And some may consider it the most naughtiest one of the favorite things, but you could get a very meaningful answer. We've had many meaningful answers, but also some very... Uh, different answers as well uh this one for you favorite male body part or attribute you see a good looking guy you know what will shannon hunter look at first hmm um i i actually this is actually funny i love fat guys so i love i you know i'm looking at you know like torsos honestly Torsos and eyes. I love light eyes, but yeah. I love fat eyes. I really do. Really, it's just that's mm -hmm. that is so interesting. That is that's the I'm first not, time someone said that. Not a body girl, like so. I'm not a six pack abs girl or anything like that. I love fat guys. I love big, tall, fat guys. Really cool. So you, mm -hmm. you probably <laughs> you probably see somebody like Bo Cooper and be like, oh, I, I like a bit of Bo Cooper. <laughs> He's great. I've had him on the show before. Uh, so, Shannon, the last one here. Uh, favorite curse word? Favorite curse word? Fuck. Yep. Number one answer on the show. If this were Family Feud, that would be the number one answer. 
That would be the number one answer. And I say it all the time too. Like (laughs) I have been such a, I've been such a, listen, I'm from New York city. I have been such a good girl on this interview. I'm proud of me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Usually do you uh, curse like a sailor, do you? Like a sailor. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome stuff. The funniest thing is I interviewed Big F and Joe about four and a half hours ago, I think. Uh, and he said the exact same thing. Fuck was his favorite uh, curse word, and that he says it all the time. I love that. <laughs> Shannon, Joe is this- Joe is one of my favorite people on earth. Oh, he's great. Um, also, I am really close friends with your countryman uh, Joel Bateman. Oh, of course, Mr. Bateman. I just talked to him about yeah, maybe an hour and a half ago or so. Um, actually, no, it wouldn't have been because uh, we've nearly been talking two hours now. Uh, probably about. Two and a half hours ago, I told him that Big F and Joe was hoping to come to Australia. And I said, hey, bro, just let you know. And he's like, oh, don't worry, mate. I'm already on to it. So cool. Good on you, Joe. But uh, Shannon, this has been so much fun learning about you, your journey in professional wrestling. I hope you've had fun. I've had fun. And I had to cut it off at some stage because I'm like, wait, 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 whoa, 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 whoa. Let's let's prolong this. Let's prolong this. Let's do this again. We'll learn even more. So uh, thank you again so much. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Can't wait to do it again. Excellent, Shannon. And thank all of you out there for joining me here on the Insider's Edge podcast here on the WCWA Network. We've just learned a whole lot here with my new friend, Shannon Hunter, and I'm California. And guess what? We will see you down the road. Thank you.